It is time to get started. Tonight is going to be a good study by God's grace. Simple, but practical. Because if it's not practical, my friends, it's not worth listening to. I'm going to share my screen with you. Should be my second screen, not my first one. All right. I'm wanting to pray and get started. Thank you, Sister Ingrid. I appreciate that. Please pray for my mind that I stay focused as we present this evening. All right, so it looks to me like I have the screen shared that I want to share. And uh, let's, let's go to work here. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and mercy. And we thank you, Father, for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what your dear son does. As we're about to study our Bibles, we ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. And we ask this, Father, because of our natural selves, we cannot understand the deep things of God, nor can we be subject to those things. So we need you now, Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. All right. I think we got everything up and running. Up and running. Running and up. All right. Tonight we're dealing with the subject matter, love and relationships, uh, marriage, love and marriage from the scriptures, love and marriage from the scriptures. I, I dealt with this last year and I want to deal with it again as we begin our journey because every this is a Tuesday night. So every Tuesday night we're going to be talking about relationships. Hopefully next week we're going to have several guests on next week dealing with uh, relationships and different things of that nature. But this week, I'm just going to share with you some some key principles for those who are in marriage and those who are looking to be married. Now, I'm sharing these principles with you because they are, are eternal in nature. I'm not sharing them with you because I've mastered them all. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I'm still learning. I'm still practicing, still trying to be the best version of what God designed me to be. So what I'm sharing with you is an eternal principle, and those eternal principles can be applied on every level, no matter who you are, how long you've been married, or who you've been with. And so by God's grace, we're going to be able to look at some of these principles. I want you to open your Bibles with me. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. To the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter one and i want you to see something about god and i want to pose this this thought to you that we should be ready to love because when love arrives it's not it's not always that we'll receive it it's not always that we would recognize it or know how to apply it so we need to know how to be ready to receive love when it presents itself and is in our in our lives and our experience. So in Genesis chapter one, and this is a thought that we're gonna build on going forward, but I want you to notice verse number one, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So we know off top that it is God who creates the heaven and the earth. And then verse three says, and God said, let there be light. Verse four, and God saw the light and that it was good. Jump down to verse number seven. The Bible says, and God made the firmament. Jump down to verse number 10. And God called the dry land earth. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth bring forth grass. So essentially, what, what are we looking at? We're looking at creation. And God is in the mode of creating before he brings in a human being. In other words, the God of heaven, the God of love, prepares a place before he brings in Adam and Eve. He creates a situation that is 
paradise, if you will, that is livable, that is a reflection of his own person and his own character, God does this before he brings them in to live, quote unquote, with him. But I, I want to go to verse number 26 and 27. We talked about this before in another study in a different way, but I want to highlight this in the context of relationships. The Bible says in Genesis 1:26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God makes man and he makes man in the position of dominion, of rulership. Verse seven says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, and then it stops. So God makes man, and when he makes man, both male and female are created in the image of God. And I asked you, I believe it was last night, if I gave you one word to describe God, and you only had one word, you couldn't choose any other word in the English vocabulary or, or Latino uh, vocabulary or, or Danish vocabulary, what word would you use? And I challenged you, and I said the, the word that I would use would be the word love. That's the word I would use to describe the person and the nature of God. It would be love. So when the Bible says in verse 26, it says, and God said, I rather say, and love said, let us make man in our image after our what? Likeness. So man was created in the image of love, the very principles of of that image are reflected in man. And when he says, let man have dominion, he's saying, let love have dominion. Man was to reflect the character of God as he was to have dominion over the earth. Now that dominion, my friends, that dominion is really a, a, a word of service. Love was serving. Love was taking care of. He was the caretaker. He was the servant of the land. He was the servant of these creatures. And he who is the servant is the greatest. Now, keep this in mind, because when we're talking about relationships, we're talking about love. We're talking about a union between two people or two parties. We're, we're talking about a relationship that is to reflect the character and person of God. I hope that's making sense, because at the end of the day, if we're going into a relationship to receive something, my friends, to receive love, I'm looking for love. They're supposed to give me love. When we go into it that way, we're actually defiling the image of God himself. So in the mind of God, when he's looking at us, he's not looking for what we can do for him. He's always looking at how can I serve men? How can I best uplift men? What can I do to put men in the best position to reflect and be at peace. How can I make him happy? What can I do to make her uh, her day easier? This is the mind of God. How can I help them build their character? Now, this is important because when we're talking about God and relationships, I want you to see something. I want you to see something. In Genesis chapter two, in Genesis chapter two, God begins to, there's another, this is another account of creation, but it doesn't go into the great details of him making a sun, moon, and stars, and all those different things. It highlights the land, and then it talks about God intimately coming close to Adam. Notice in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So what does man become? He becomes a living soul. God breathes into him. He breathes into him the breath of life. And man comes alive and becomes a living soul. He begins to, to breathe in life and to breathe in the air that God had already put before him. He begins to touch the flowers and the trees that God had already made, especially for him. Notice. So God does this, and then God gives Adam a job. Please note, 
that God gives Adam a job before he gives him a wife. Notice the Bible says, verse number eight, and the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made, made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the eye and good for food and a tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now watch what the Bible says now in verse number 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. Again, that idea of dress and keep it is that he is serving. The Hebrew word indicates that he is in the position of serving. He's in the position of serving to dress and to keep. God gives him a job before he gives him a spouse. Keep it in mind. Then the Bible says this. And the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Please notice that before there is a woman on the scene, God is speaking to Adam and God is communicating to Adam his one clear instruction. Do not take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do this, you're going to die. Now, my friends, think about this for a moment. Adam had no idea what death was. He had no clue what it meant to die. He had never experienced it. He had never seen it. But here God is instructing him. And at the end of the day, all he knows is not something that he wants to be a part of. Because God said, don't do it. I should not be a part of it. So notice God gives Adam a job and God gives Adam spiritual instruction before there is a woman on the scene. Before there is a spouse on the scene, God is speaking to Adam individually. Now, how do we apply that? Brothers and sisters, many of us in our relationships have this idea that if we find a spouse, we will find love. That is not the case. What has to happen is there has to be a personal and intimate relationship with God beforehand. God gives you your purpose. God gives you your path. God gives you personal communion with him before he gives you someone to share life with. Notice this. Now, I, we're talking about being ready to love, being ready to love. Number one, you have to have a personal relationship with love. When I say personal relationship with love, with love, again, I'm talking about this idea that this love that is there is a love that is generated by God because man naturally does not love. Man naturally does not know how to give the other what they need. It's impossible. So you must have a personal relationship with love so that you will know how to give love when you are encountering and with your spouse. I hope that's making sense. Because when we're, when we're talking about this, my friends, and we're, we're looking at the last days, and again, everybody's really focused on this virus. Everybody's focused on this exterior thing that's happening outside in the outside world. Yes, it's coming close. Yes, it's affecting us. But my friends, the reality is the relationships that we build with each other will strengthen us through any crisis. You know, when you say a vow, for better or worse, to death do us part, that, that type of vow, when someone makes that type of vow, that is, I'm going to remain faithful regardless of all the craziness that is happening in our world. That's, that's what is being stated. That's what's being focused upon when we make a vow like that. But in order to sustain a vow like that, you must know love. You must know the person of love, not the emotion that we call love that goes away the moment somebody gets on our nerves. Not that. 
We're talking about love, a principle, a person, his being, the essence of all that he is. Everything is sustained by this love. Love is the foundation of any relationship, whether it be husband or wife, father to children, mother to children, exterior. Love is the foundation. So we must have a personal relationship with love. And like Adam, before he met his spouse, he had his path. What was he to do? He was to dress and to keep the garden. And Adam, without question, my friends, he had spiritual instruction, spiritual connection before his bride came on the scene. This is a challenge for all of us. There needs to be a personal walk with God that each of us has. Your spouse's relationship will not carry your relationship. Your relationship is between you and God. And yes, that your spouse and you are to come together and have worship together and pray together. Yes, ideally that is the case. But more than that, the personal relationship needs to be at its peak. Because my friends, if we don't have it, we can't give it. If our spouse needs strength and you don't and you don't naturally have the strength and they bring you a burden, what's going to happen? You both are going to collapse. So what needs to happen, my friends? A personal relationship with Jesus, a personal vital connection with the Most High. Without that, my friends, you cannot give love and you should not enter into any courtship or any relationship until you know love fully for yourself. I hope that makes sense. You shouldn't enter into any relationship unless you know love fully for yourself. Because if you're looking for love from the spouse, you're going to be disappointed. Period. Done. Because after they take you out and they wine and dine and then you go to the movie or whatever you think you're going to do to make yourself have fun, jump off the cliffs and, oh, we're having a great time. Okay, when that's done, then what? What is the substance of your relationship, what is it built on? Is it built on the solid rock of Jesus? Because if it's not, troublous times are here, what's gonna happen? They're gonna flee, that's what happens, my friends. The rock must be on Christ. And I say that, <laughs> and then there's real life, right? You say it, and then real life happens, and then it just seems like you made a mistake, you're in the wrong relationship, I understand. Those feelings, I understand. Those thoughts, I understand. You know what I understand? Those thoughts and feelings are a reflection that not enough time has been spent with the most high. Because do you know what love does? In fact, there's, you know the story of Hosea, and we'll probably deal with that another time. And he marries a harlot. And when he marries this harlot woman, this woman literally goes out and leaves him and cheats on him. God tells Hosea, go get her, bring her back. And every time he goes to get her and brings her back, this is an example of God going out of his way to save his children. And that relationship of constantly going after the one that seems to be in crazy in a crazy place is a reflection of God's ultimate love. Did you know, my friends, that when the Bible teaches that God essentially does not like divorce? Do you know why he doesn't like divorce? The reason why he doesn't like divorce is because divorce in a marriage is ant is an antithesis is the opposite of his of his commitment to the church so the church is a reflection of the bride and jesus is the husband and if the husband divorces the bride what's the problem there's no union there's no oneness so god hates divorce because it's not a reflection of what he is so what happens in a relationship what must take place self must die and the only way self dies if if love is raised and how is love raised by beholding the man jesus that's the only way otherwise i tell you the truth i would drive my wife crazy i tell you the truth we would drive each other mad because christ would not be the one that's the center of it all he's the one that keeps the glue together he's the one that keeps our sanity in in place when it seems like all else it's about to explode, my friends. So before you get married, have a personal relationship with love. Because if you don't, 
even if the person coming into the relationship has a relationship with Jesus and they marry you and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you would not be able to receive what he's what that person is giving, because if he's giving it, what's happening? Well, you don't know love. So all you're going to want to do is take. But that's not how love works. Love is a giving process. It's not looking for what it can receive from the other person. My friends, it's altogether different. Love awakens love. Are you following what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, in order to be able to receive love, you must have a personal relationship and you must know the path that God has designed for you. Now, number three, because we are sinners and because we have done wrong in our lives, Without question, we have baggage. Amen. Whether you accept it or not, whether you whether you believe that you're crazy or not, I'm going to tell you right now, we all got issues. Say it with a smile. Amen. And we all have issues. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is clear. That is biblical. That is true. There's no question in my mind that I have that issue. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things, the Bible says. Who can know it? Now, my friends, if you don't know your own heart, what does it, it doesn't make any sense for you to make think that you can know your spouse's heart. If you don't know your own heart, the heart is deceitful, Jeremiah 79, and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? Verse 10 says, but God knows the heart. He tries to rest. That's why you go to Psalms 139. It says, search me, O God. Verse 23, and know my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. You must deal with yourself in a real way. Why do you get upset if such and such is not done? What, what, what are you upset about? Why do you get upset if they are talking and all of a sudden you just feel annoyed? What? What is, what is it that's causing you to go into this space where you are feeling this way? You must deal with your past. Or you have trust issues. Well, why do you have trust issues? What, what in your past has brought you to a place where you no longer trust? If you're not dealing with your past, my friends, if you're not dealing with your issues, my friends, you're going to bring those issues into your relationship. And now your partner is going to be trying to figure out your issues. And you're going to be trying to figure out your partner's issues. And everybody's trying to figure out issues, but nobody's trying to figure out their own selves with Jesus. First, take the beam out of your own eye, the Bible says. The speck. Take the speck out of your own eye before you try to take the beam out of somebody else's eye. Take the speck out. Take it out. Because if you don't take it out, you're going to see your spouse and you're going to be like, that's a... The spouse itself is a huge problem. They're just a problem. <laughs> you can't do it that way. I, I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to, to help you see it in a way that, that at the end of the day, my friends, what you want, what we need is a personal, vibrant relationship with God that reveals our necessity and our need and then allow God to do his doctor work inside of us. Otherwise, we're bringing baggage into the relationship that will weigh us down and tear out our love for each other and our love for God. You can't receive love if you're holding on to things that block that reception. So how do you how do you deal with that? Let me let me let me let me there's a there's a passage of scripture. It's in First John. And normally we, we use this passage when talking about our personal sins. But I want you to see something here. It's in First John. First John chapter 1. I want you to see something here, my friends. In First John chapter 1, I'm going to read it to you. Verse 9. You know it. It says, if we confess our sins. If we what, my friends? If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what else? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? All. If we confess our sins. So if I'm going to deal with my past, whether it's things that have been done to me or things that I have done to others, 
Those things are in my spirit. They're in my being. And I'm, I'm broken. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in need of a, a heavenly touch to help me love the one that I don't know how to love. We need to confess it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins. Now, wait, you say, Andre, that's about me sinning. What about if someone has done something to me? Go with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. Notice what the Bible says. Isaiah 53, and I want us to begin reading at verse number five. Now, when we speak of Jesus, remember, he is our example. When we speak of him, remember, he is our what? He's our example. So watch what the Bible says. Isaiah 53, verse number five. Watch what it says. Actually, let's back up. Back up. Go to verse number three. It says, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Now, we hid, as it were, our faces from him takes us back to the book of Genesis, right? When Adam and Eve are in the garden and they sin and then they go hide from the face of God. They didn't want to see God's face. So we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Now watch what happens. It says, and he was despised and we esteemed him not. Now watch this. Surely he have borne our griefs. What's it say, my friends? It says that he has borne our what? He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows remember remember we're talking about these three steps that are necessary in order to to enter into a relationship with someone else in order to do that my friends you have to deal with your past and your past is dealt with in two ways one the sins that you've had in your own life that you know you've committed you've broken god's law you've done opposite of what he asked you to do now listen if you don't confess your sins they remain in your being. They remain in your actions. And you're unclean. And that uncleanness now goes into the relationship, whether you can see it or not. So if you're married right now and you know you've never confessed your sins from when you were a little boy or a little girl, or you did this dirt or that dirt and all that other dirt, and I'm not talking about confess your sins in a broad way, my friends. I'm talking about being specific. I did X. I stole this. I lied about this. I thought about that. You need to be specific with the Holy Ghost. Go through with him and confess your sins. Because if you don't, it will somehow that stuff stays in you, my friends. And that stuff finds its way seeping into your interactions with others. We must confess, especially, my friends, I'm going to use a term we haven't studied it yet. But especially because we're living in the Day of Atonement. That time when we're supposed to be examining ourselves to see whether or not we are in the faith. And in that examination, we're to make sure that there was nothing in our experience that would separate us from God. So you confess all your sins. Make sure it's clean. Make sure there's nothing there that hinders you from being one with God. On top of that, let's say, for instance, when you were younger, someone did something to you that broke your spirit. I don't know what it was. Maybe, maybe it had to do with molestation. Maybe it had to do with abuse. Maybe it just had to do with, with, with someone lied or cheated on you or whatever, whatever it might be. That's a grief. The Bible says again in Isaiah 53, surely, verse 4, he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Do you see it? At the end of the day, my friends, we do not need to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. He has already borne it for us. Before you were born, he has already borne it for us. He has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. That pain is no longer necessary to bear. If you can give him this, if that burden can be given to him, then you don't need to bring that burden into the relationship does that make sense and if you're in the relationship already then you can do exactly what i just said deal with your problem take it to the lord in prayer and the lord will cleanse you 
from the inside, my friends, from the inside out, from the inside out. Don't leave anything out when you're talking to him. There, you don't have to worry about it being recorded. You don't have to worry about it being thrown back in your face. You can tell him everything. There's nothing that he has not seen already. Tell him everything. Every single solitary thing, my friend. But let's go a little bit further. I'm going to share this with you. Let me put this back on the screen here. I'm going to share this with you. Now, again, three things. Have a personal relationship with love. That means have a personal relationship with God. Number two, you need to know your path. God has designed a path for you. If the person that you're thinking to be with is taking you off your path, that's not the person for you. Now, if you are already in a relationship, then you guys got to work that out. There's no, you don't divorce now because this path and this path, you need to talk to each other, communicate with each other. What is it that God would have you to do together as a couple? Lastly, deal with your past. Deal with it. Don't ignore it. Don't gloss it over. Don't hope that, oh, we're just going to be happy in love. No, deal with your past. Every nuance of it, deal with it alone with God. And if you need to confess or, or make recompense for your evils that you have done, do that. Don't overlook it. Now, there are a couple of things I'm going to need you to do. I'm going to need you to do. Let me see here. First thing, take time to evaluate yourself. What do I mean by that? Examine yourself, just like we talked about. When we're talking about dealing with your past, examine yourself. What do I like? What don't I like? What, what is my favorite food? Where do I like to go? Where would I like to live? What's my favorite color? You need to know yourself. Because if you don't know yourself and then you're going to try to marry someone else because you got to know them, you're going to be confused because you're going to get lost in them because you're, you don't know yourself. So number one, know yourself. Take time to evaluate who you are. Are you happy with who you are? Are you happy with it? Because if you're not happy with who you are, don't think that some dude or some lady is going to come into your life and make you happy. It will last for a short amount of time. So know who you are and are you happy with who you are? And if you're not happy with who you are, don't try to link it with someone else so you can be happy. Happiness and joy are not found in others. Happiness and joy are found in Christ. And when you have Christ, now you're looking to share this joy with the one that you have committed to be with. But if you do it the other way around, you're going to get confused and then you're going to be upset. You're going to feel like somebody tricked you and you've been lied to and all this other stuff. You need to know who you are. And you need to know if you're happy. If you're happy in Christ, are you joyful in Christ? Number four, number three, what are your own gifts? What are others saying about you in regards to your gifts and your abilities? You need to know those things. You don't need to be guessing about that when you're in the relationship because now you're going to be like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm here. I've been following him around. I've been following her around. And you don't know what you're doing. So because you're, that is that way, now you're adding a burden in the relationship that does not need to be there. I hope, I hope that's making sense. Number four, are you ready to provide? I didn't say, are you ready to receive? Are you ready to provide? emotionally, spiritually, financially, and physically. You need to be able to do all four of those things before you enter into a relationship of wedlock, of love. If you're not able to do those things before you enter in, don't enter in. Now, for each one, when I say financially or physically or spiritually, there are, there are varying levels of that. And I understand that. But my friends, do be honest. At the end of the day, what do you want your family to look like? How are you going to get there? How are you going to provide? You don't want to be in a situation where you don't know or you're, you're, you're just in this crazy, crazy mixed up situation causing unnecessary burdens. You want to know all those things before entering in. Now, just because you know before doesn't mean you're not going to have problems when you're in there. It just means that you're better prepared, right? You're better prepared to deal with the issues that are going to be without question present. Because even right now, 
there's a crisis, right? Financially, people don't have jobs or they have less work to do. And you can't always plan for those things, but what you or, or you can plan for them, but you don't always know what's going to happen. But you can have a foundation. You can think ahead. In fact, I'm quite sure many of us who are in this situation now are thinking, no, next time this happens, I'm going to have this, this, and this done, right? Preparation is necessary before you enter in. All right. So how do we pick the right one? Now, I'm going to give you several questions to ask. All right. I'm going to give you several questions to ask. Write these down if you're in the process of picking or selecting the right one. How do I pick the right one? So here we go. Let me write. Here they are. Question number one. Will the one you marry bring happiness to your home? Will they bring happiness to your home? Is, is, are, are they going to bring joy to your heart? Number two, is she an economist or will she or he, if married, not only use all her means or your means or, or your own means and earnings, but all of yours to gratify a what? A vanity or a love of appearance? Are there superficialness there? You don't want superficial in the relationship because it costs, it's costly to do that. And you don't, you don't want superficial relationship, you can buy a bunch of gadgets and be broke, right? You need to have prudence, planning. Number three, are her principles correct in this direction? Meaning in regards to the relationship. Has she anything now to depend upon? Is she self-sufficient? Can she generate her own income? Sounds like a Proverbs 31 type of woman. Number five, will she be one who will be patient and painstaking? My brothers and sisters, don't overlook that. Before we're going into a marriage, you need to be, the character of Christ needs to be seen in the person that you're with. And mind you, my friend, time does go on and people are, are continually growing or they are decreasing. There's no question that that happens. But you need to look for this before entering in. Number six, will she become a daughter or rob your parents of a son? That's what you need to ask. Ask yourself these questions before you enter into a relationship. Other questions to ask. This is what the, the, the lady, the sister should be asking. Is he worthy? In other words, he's trying, to, he's trying to be with me. He wants to be. Is he worthy? Is he, is he worthy to even be in my presence? Is he worthy to meet my mom and dad? Don't bring junk to your parents, right? What has been his past record? How has he courted in the, in, in, in the days before? What has he done in time past, my friend? Number, 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 number three, is his life pure? Now, again, you can only see so much, but you should have enough sample size to see a consistency, whether under pressure or whether things are going well. What does the character of this young person bear out? Number four. Is the love he expresses of a noble, elevated character, or is it a mere emotional fondness? Oh, you're so cute. You're so wonderful. You're so gorgeous, girl. Whatever. Stop it. Is <laughs> the love that's being expressed expressive of a noble, elevated character, or, my friends, are there little uh, physical interactions taking place that will compromise the purity that you have committed to with God. Number five, has he the traits of character that will make you happy? Don't overlook it. Look, if you have a red flag, run for your life. You don't wanna be miserable in your marriage. Run for, run for your life. Can she find true peace and joy in his affection? Is he even affectionate? Can you find joy and peace? You, you have to be honest. You have to ask these questions and you have to be honest, you must go beyond your emotions and look carefully, my friends, when dealing with this issue. Number seven, will she be allowed to retain her individuality? That's an interesting one, because at the end of the day, you still have to be your own person, sisters. You can't let the dude dominate, no matter if he's charismatic, he got money, whatever it is, 
You can't just let him run roughshod over you. You can't just give up your visions and dreams for him. Will you be allowed to be an individual? Now, if your vision and dream is not in coordination with his vision and dream, then maybe you shouldn't be getting married, right? Right. Number eight, can she honor the Savior's claims as supreme? What does that mean? If the Bible says to do one thing and the boyfriend is telling you to do something different, how can you honor God by, by, by hanging out or being with that boy? You can't. You have to be willing to give all for God. And if he's causing compromise there, run for your life. Number nine, will body, soul, thoughts, and purposes be preserved pure and holy? You know, my friends, these questions, they're powerful. You know why they're powerful? Because these questions are different from what a regular person would ask. Because this, these questions are preparation not just for marriage here on planet Earth, but for a union that goes beyond this planet. We're talking about a union that is preparing both parties to see Jesus come through the cloud. If the union is not designed this way, you shouldn't be getting married. Marriage is refined and defined under God's order, not this new man's order, not this man's way of doing things. This is God's construction, marriage was, or marriage is. So those are our nine questions, sisters, that you should be asking before going in to a relationship with this man. There's, there's one on here uh, that is not present, that I don't see here, but will he be able to provide for the family? A man that does not provide for his family is worse than an infidel, the Bible says. That needs to be there. Maybe I'll put it in next time. This, these questions are for the brothers. So the question the brother should ask, has my lover a mother? If, she has, if he, she has a mom, what is the stamp of the character of the mother? Because the character of the mother will be reflected in the sister more often than not. At least that's how it was back in the day because that's most of the time the mom spent most of the time with the, with the, with the children. So that character would normally rub up on the children. Number 12, does he recognize his obligations to her? Now, this is the question the sisters actually should be asking, because at the end of the day, the young man, does he take care of his mom? Does he love his mom? Does he respect his mom? Does he respect his sisters? Because if he doesn't respect his mom and he doesn't respect his sisters, there's no way that he will respect you. And how he interacts with his sisters more than likely will be a way that he interacts with you. Real talk. Number 13, is he mindful of his mother's wishes? If mom asks him to do something, does he do it? Does he just ignore it? Because if he ignores his mother, it's quite likely he may ignore you. Uh, again, conditions could be that the mother doesn't know what she's talking about. She could be crazy. That's possible. More often than not, though, moms usually have the best interest of the child in mind. Number 14, if he does not respect and honor his mother, will he manifest respect and love uh, with kindness and, and attention, can he do that with his wife? If he doesn't have it with his mother, can he? No, the answer is no. And then number 15, when the novelty of marriage is over, that means that honeymoon phase, everything's so sweet. Oh, every, oh the, sky, the sky is so bright. When that's over, <laughs> when that's over, will he still love me? You have to ask the questions, my sisters. You can't just let the dude get away with anything. You have to ask those questions. Then number 16, will he be patient with my mistakes or will he be critical, overbearing, and dictatorial? Now, these, it's interesting. These questions can go either way, right? It's both sides. You know, when I look at these questions, and just to be honest with you, my friends, when I look at these questions, all I see are questions asking, are they truly Christian? That's what I see with these questions. Do they, can they truly reveal the character of Christ in the relationship? Is it possible? And the questions need to be asked and answered. Number 17, true affection will overlook many mistakes. Love 
will not discern them. True affection will overlook many mistakes. Love will not discern them. My friends, why is that? Why will love not discern the many mistakes? Because love is not looking for mistakes. Love is looking to serve. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Love is looking to serve. And if there is a mistake, it's looking to help correct the mistake, not by beating down the person that made the mistake, but by coming alongside a help meet. We're all trying to get to the same place. We're all trying to go to heaven. We're all trying to see the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is gotten by beholding the matchless love of Jesus. And in that matchless love is created a character that we don't naturally have. So the same thing with the spouse. If the spouse is making mistakes, you need to show love. But you say, but I, they don't ever listen. They don't ever hear. Listen, let me, let me say this real quiet so nobody, nobody gets upset. Do you always listen to Jesus? Do you do everything he tells you to do? So take the stone out of your hand, drop it on the ground, and go help the person with the mistake that you see them making. We're all trying to go to the same place. Love breeds love, but condemnation and criticism leads people down. And I'm telling you, my friends, true story. I'm not making it up. When we look at Christ, he is not coming to condemn the world, right? In fact, when he comes, he comes to die. I'm going to share a secret with you. Let me let me share a secret with you. I'm going to I'm going to go to the book of Ephesians. Watch this, my friends. I'm going to, I'm going to share a secret. And again, like I told you from the beginning, it's not like I got this perfect because I don't have it perfect. But I'm growing, just like all of us are growing. But I love the principles that are taught here. And if applied, peace, joy, and happiness can be in the home. So in Ephesians chapter Ephesians chapter 5. I want to say Ephesians 5. Yes, Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to start reading at verse number 21. Now, Again, just stay with me. Don't make any conclusions. Just stay with me. The point that I'm going to get to. The Bible says in verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submitting yourselves one to another. What does that mean? That's, that's essentially humbling yourselves, right? Wives, now it says this, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. So that's an instruction that the Lord gives. Verse 23, for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and is the savior of the body. So the husband is supposed to be the savior of the body. That means he's supposed to die. He's supposed to do everything possible for his bride to bring her to a place where she is at peace, where her, her, her she is pure, she is clean. He's supposed to take care of her. Verse 24, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wise be subject to their own husbands in everything. Now, that sounds hard, right? That sounds hard. I'm not emphasizing that right now. That's not my point in my study yet. The point that I want to emphasize is the next one. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Okay, so the previous verse says submit. The next verse says husband's love. Husband's love is superior in this process. So I'll say, let me say it this way. Jesus Christ does not ask you to love him without his demonstration of said love. So he goes to Calvary and he dies for our sins before we even knew who he was, right? So he dies. He dies first before he asks us to submit. Are you following? Jesus dies first. He demonstrates his love. He demonstrates his provision of salvation for his church. He demonstrates this first, then submit. 
but you can't have submit before you have love. You can't have submit before the husband has died, before self has been removed. Self must be removed first before the wife submits. Nobody heard me. I think you heard me. I think you understand what I'm saying. And it's the same thing for parenting. Watch this. The same thing for parenting. Your, your child will obey you to a certain point. But it comes a time when your child begins to say, you know what? I see you. <laughs> I know who you really are. You're fake in church. You're fake at home. I see what you really are every day. And now they begin to somewhat respond to you in a way that's not loving. Why? Because at the end of the day, the character has been revealed. They have seen enough. And they say, I don't want this this way. I want to do my thing. And yes, this is a part of a child trying to learn to grow to be what they're supposed to be. But I think to a great extent, my friends, the reality of what we are is exposed. And our children begin to say, you know what? I don't like hypocrisy, man. I just don't want it. So they don't want to obey. That's why the Bible says, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. They didn't say just obey your parents just randomly for a random sake. Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Husbands, love your wives. Then your wives will submit to you. But if you don't love her properly, there's no reason to submit. Amen. I'm just saying myself. What am I make my wife do something when I'm not doing her right? Does that make sense? Why would she want to do something for me? Love creates love. Love blossoms and helps everybody else in the situation to love. Jesus died first before he said, submit to him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I hope you're following my friends because you cannot expect to go into a relationship and listen to me, sisters, don't take that to say if your husband's not loving, then you shouldn't, know, you shouldn't try to, to love. If, you are, if your husband's not doing the right thing, then you need to go to the Lord, submit to your heavenly husband, and ask him to give to you the spirit that will help convert your husband. Amen. Don't just walk around like I'm an independent woman. I'm just going to, they don't care what he's, don't do that. You're just going to cause an explosion, okay? Love awakens, awakens love. Now, let me finish reading Ephesians. Because I'm gonna we're gonna do talk about this again at another time, but I, I want to make sure I get to this point. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and what and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Hmm. So in order to love the wife. That love will be a sanctifying process for your bride. But if you're not loving, there is no way that that body can be made clean. If you're seeing imperfections, this is the point. If you're seeing imperfections in your bride, if you're seeing imperfections in your husband, then love is the mechanism that will wash and sanctify. Not any other means, my friends. Not any other means. You're not going to beat them in an argument because arguments only cause more division. Amen. I'll say it for myself. You're not going to beat them by, by showing them that you're the strongest or that you're the... You, control is not, a, uh, 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 is not evidence of love. Love is willing to die. Is willing to give up your own thoughts and your own opinions and submit them to another as they are following Christ. Amen. Are you following my friends? I'm hoping this is making sense as we're going along here. Let me let me move. I'm going to share the screen with you. I only have a few more moments, and then I'm going to let you go for this evening. Let me share this with you here. Yes, here we go. So here's here's a couple of things that I practically want you to do. And if you're single, for sure, I want you to do this. If you're married. There's a variation on this, but we'll see how we can apply it. So if you're single, here's what I want you to do. Sit down and make a list of biblical and personable, personal non-negotiables. 
What do you mean by that? Meaning that if I am married, I do not want this in my marriage. Make a list of it. And don't compromise on the, the non-negotiables. Don't compromise on them. Because at the end of the day, non-negotiables should be things that will cause sin and unhappiness in the home. So you don't want that. So make a list. Number two, what do you want in a spouse? What, what are you looking for? Truly, what are you looking for? And you need to be reasonable. They're not going to be God the Father when they marry you. You follow what I'm saying? Be reasonable. What are you looking for in a spouse? Number three, is the list you are creating in congruence with Scripture? In other words, if you say, I want this in a spouse, one, two, three, four, five, is that list compatible? Does it match what Scripture says you should be looking for in a spouse? And you should be thorough in your examination of this idea. Number four, is your personal list reasonable? I, I said that already. And number five, make sure your selection is in concert with your path. What do I mean by that? If you are called to be a missionary in India, but your spouse is going to want to live in California, then you can't be married because your path is leading you to India. You follow? If your path is leading you to be a medical doctor and the spouse doesn't want you to be a medical doctor, then that person's not, or, or not the spouse, but the person you want to be with says, I don't want you to be a medical doctor. You have a problem. And this should be honestly discussed before marriage. I have counseled with persons who literally, they love the person they were, but then they were like, they didn't want them to be a doctor, but that person already wanted to be a doctor. They went to school to do that. And now you want them to change path. Listen, make sure the partner you are selecting is in congruence and in concert with the path that God has already put you on. Now, you might ask, well, what happens if during the relationship they change path and you still want to stay on your path? That's a different discussion for another day. But we're talking about before marriage. Look, be honest, be clear with what you're doing. And don't be afraid to lose someone because you're like, oh, if I lose them, then then I'll be single for the rest of my life. No, your heavenly father. Remember, you found love before you found that person. You are in love with Jesus before you are in love with a person or an individual. And don't think you're missing something so great and so grand if you are going to compromise what heaven says to do. Because if you do compromise, you're going to be miserable. Amen. I'll say it myself. You will be miserable if you are not careful in who you select. And you will be miserable if you don't stay connected with Jesus. So be careful, my friends. Choose wisely. So what is the purpose of courtship and marriage? It is love in action. It is a reflection of of the wonderful character of God manifested in this earth. That, what, that is what marriage is supposed to be. It is not something to get together just to hang out and be cool with each other and go. No, the purpose of a marriage is to reflect the character of God when two people are one. And that oneness is demonstrated in service for others and in service to God. And in that service to others and service to God, that other can be the person that you're with. How can I serve her? How can I serve him? How can I make us happy together in Christ? So the purpose of marriage is to reflect the image of God. It is the closest reflection of God on earth between husband and wife and a well-ordered family. I hope this is making sense to you. I have this one last thing I want to share with you here and there are four there are four things i need you to do number one protect the family circle protect it when you go into that relationship protect the character of the person that you're with number two number two stop telling your family about the defects or the arguments with your significant other unless physical abuse or something like that is going on of course you need to get out of that situation but anything else, an argument, don't share that stuff with other people. 
they will never look at them the same again. You might be cool with your husband, you might be cool with your wife, but now that you told a little something on them, now everybody's looking kind of sideways at them. You don't want that, my friends. Protect your circle. Number three, take time together so oneness can develop. You know, for me, this has been probably my Achilles because I'm so active, so doing all this ministry, right? But your family is your number one ministry, right? You need to take time together, schedule dates, work together, pray together, eat together, laugh together, do things together, do things together. Why? Why together? Because if you do it together, you get to know each other better. You do things together, you learn to love. It's funny, you know, it's not really funny. This virus has made people have to stay in their house. And they're not used to staying in their house together. So I'm quite sure there are probably greater issues in communication and different things going on because you're not, people are used to being at work away from the people that they're supposed to be with most of the time. So being in the house together, the children running around, people feel a little weird. But the more time you spend together, the more you learn each other, the more you learn each other, the more you can learn to love each other. You're examining the person, not so you can get something, but so you can give, so you can love, so you can express this union one with the other. And lastly, take time to be by yourself. You need to. You can't always be around people. You're going to lose yourself. You can't do that. You have to be alone, be with God. Lord, show me about myself. Get a book. Read it by yourself. Because if you're not honest with who you are, again, you're going to be bringing some baggage into your situation and you're not going to understand. So take time to examine yourself. Be alone with God. And he will show you, my friends, how to grow and develop in your relationship. My friends, I just want to I just want to say to you, I, I appreciate you coming on this night. You don't have to come on, but you do come on. I am encouraging you and it's in as many facets of life as possible. And this night, we're talking about relationships and the family. And every night, every Tuesday night, we're going to be dealing with practical things for the family. But listen, God can restore any relationship. God can build back husbands and wives together. That is his goal. That's part of the Elijah message where moms and dads and children are, are brought back into oneness. God desires this in the last days. It's part of the end time message. The question is, will you allow love to work love in your heart so that you can love those people who are seen to be unlovable? And God can work a miracle in your home. God can work a miracle in your spouse's heart. God can work a miracle to bring what seems to be so far apart and he can bring it together and he can put joy where it has been dead, my friends. So I encourage you, look to Jesus. Again, my favorite quotation, you'll hear me say it again, as a student of the Bible beholds the Redeemer, there's awakened in the soul the mysterious power of faith, adoration, and love. Upon the vision of Christ, the gaze is fixed, and the beholder grows into the likeness of that which he adores. The question, my friends, are you beholding your spouse or are you beholding Jesus? If you behold Jesus, I promise you he will create a love in you that you'll be able to give to your spouse. But if you're looking for love from your spouse or from your other, you're going to be miserable because you're going to look and there are days you won't be able to find it. But if you look to Jesus, every day will be sweeter than it was the day before. If you look to Jesus, he will give you a love for those unlovable times and those unlovable moments. If you look to Jesus, my friends, he will create in you what you don't have naturally yourself. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, I want to pray for my friends that are with me online tonight. You know each one. You know their relationships, the relationships that they're in before marriage. You know the, the ones that they're in presently while they are married. And some may be listening who, who the reality is they'd rather not be married ever, ever again. And I pray, Father, that you will work a miracle in our hearts. That you will show us more of Jesus. That the reality of the gospel be demonstrated in our, in our experience with the ones that we desire to love, but we don't love fully. Well, Father, please. Please do for us. 
And where we are being stubborn, remove our stubbornness. Where we have not been the good spouse, help us to be that good spouse. Where we have not been the good uh, uh, fiance, help us to be that fiance, Father. Where we have done wrong to our children, help us to rectify those situations. Lord, please, we beg of you to do this. The times demanded, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. 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 My friends, good night. Thank you so much for coming on this evening. And I thank you so much for just spending this time with, with us. And I'm encouraging you, my friends, spend time with Jesus. Spend time in his word and God will do a special thing for us. Tomorrow night, we will deal, deal with Bible prophecy. And I, I encourage you to pray for us. For the enemy hates what we're doing. Uh, he's trying to, he's definitely trying to shut us down. So if you would just be so kind as to keep us in prayer and we would appreciate it. God bless you and Maranatha.